Hello and welcome to episode 79 of the Nerd Culture Podcast, our special Valentine's Day edition. That's sexy, hello. Yeah, I was thinking that's kind of, ooh. We're feeling the love here at NCP. My name is David and we're the NCP crew. Richard. I'm feeling the love in my pants. Luke. If only there was a bar humbug for Valentine's Day. Bar humbug works across the board. Throw it in there. Bar humbug Valentine's Day. Hey, Crystal. I'm sure you can come up with a better phrase than that, Luke. True, but in the five seconds it would take... I'm, I'm quick, don't get me wrong. I'll probably have one of the other Bar Cupid. No, that's no that, that, that yeah, sounds that was, clunky. That was shit. Language? Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, you suck, man. <laughs> Let's just move on. It's not worth it anymore. No, Your comments t- sucked so badly, we've got to get Bar Cupid the sounds like a club for single people. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You're so right, lonely singles. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you're right. For this episode, we have a special dust jacket. We're going to be reviewing a preview copy of Andre Bergen's next novel, Depth Charging Ice Planet Goth. Uh, I, for one, am very excited. As you know, big Andre Bergen fan. Doesn't have quite the poetry of tobacco stained mountain goat. Oh, I like it. It makes perfect sense. Why don't you read, that? Why don't you read the book? Or my favourite version of that mountain stained tobacco goat. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, I like that. I like your vision. And then in honour of Valentine's Day, uh, we'll have a discussion on our favourite romantic films. Rom-coms. Our romantic nerd films. Yeah, our romantic pop culture nerdy films. Yeah. Exactly. That's a good way. That's a better way of saying it. Well, you still suck. Uh, moving on. <laughs> so let's, hey. You know I love you. No, we're there feeling the love this episode. This aggression, a film. <laughs> this aggression will not stand. You know I love you. I've not even touched your foot before. All right. All right. <laughs> I've got to get some foot action. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was that was Luke's foot. Oh right. Was it? <laughs> oh. Yeah, you're 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 playing the field today. Oh, no, I, you're both very attractive men. I'm I'm cool with it either way. Your your feet are playing I'm the field. My feet on the ottoman. <laughs> so let's move on to our dust jacket, depth charging ice planet goth by Andre Bergen. I'm actually uh, once again handing over the uh, Captain Dust Jacket tights. This week, uh, this time to Dave. Awesome. But... Is, is, is it definitely the tights, though? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I think it's time for a change, everybody. Because yeah. I'm thinking I'm thinking it's time for Captain Dust Jacket to step into the 90s, get himself one of those Avengers X-Men bomber jackets, and maybe, like, some completely useless pouches, including the useless thigh pouch <laughs> belt. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm sick to death of the cape and trunks and things like that. It's time, you know, I'm going to get myself a ponytail. And some spiky hair, and some ma- and, and my jacket's going to have massive shoulder pads on it for no reason whatsoever. And Captain Dust Jacket gets a sword, a two-bladed sword. No, but the pen is mightier than the sword. You get a, a two-bladed two- pen sword. Yeah, it looks <laughs> you like get, a pen. You get one of those four-color big pens. That's right. And I'm going to grimace all the time. My fa- one facial expression is going to be. Doesn't <laughs> even grimace like the. And I want to be like. Character. I want to be. I want to be like Dust Jacket X. Now, instead of Captain Dust Jacket, or you know, some sort of cool, extreme dust jacket. So, here it is. The Captain Dust Jacket Bomber Jacket. I'm only Shoulder doing it because it's a bomber jacket. Business at the top party at the back. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want the sword? The the pen sword? No. The four colour pen? Uh, I'm going to keep I want a there. gun that's bigger than myself. <laughs> <laughs> Two times as big as yourself? Yeah. Oh, the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it'd be funny if you listened to the last ep- last two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> You're filthy. I didn't realise you were so filthy. You're a dirty, dirty birdie. What? <laughs> <laughs> you beat a bad boy. <laughs> I forgot to mention balls deep. <laughs> that ridiculous line that Riddick says. I'm going to go balls deep on the <laughs> That's actually become a running gag with Aaron and I. Aaron and Gaz and I at the moment. Whenever we're talking about anything. We're going to go balls deep on that. <laughs> What's Aaron's thing? He wants to be called Buddy now. <laughs> I didn't even know what balls deep was talking about. But naturally I had to look it up and wished I had. <laughs> so, let's go balls deep on this episode. <laughs> Sorry. You're a shocker. <laughs> Okay, so um, I'm just going to refer to it as Planet Goth from now on because I keep having trouble saying the word depth. It is set in 1986 and, uh, and deals with the main character Mina Rapace, Rapace, 
I don't know how to pronounce it. I can't pronounce anything. You, you people know that. Our, you, 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 you good listeners. You people. We do that for you, people. We do it for you. We mispronounce names <laughs> for, for you, you. <laughs> for your entertainment. I'm like a show, um, Yeah, and Mina is a is 17 year old girl and is still is going to an exclusive girls' school and uh, has a bunch of friends. Her mother has recently died, uh, which which is a fact that she's actually kept secret from everybody else, uh, mainly because she's not a big fan of of attention um, and is a bit worried about how she personally reacted to it. Uh, I'm going to try to keep this review as spoiler-free as possible, and I'll explain later why that's important mm. that I do that, but that's not a spoiler. You find that out right from the outset. So it basically deals with uh, basically the trials and tribulations of being a teenage girl and, and Mina's uh, sort of journey through life. I guess you could class it as a young adult novel, I, I suppose. But it's a coming-of-age story. Yeah, coming-of-age story. That's what I was trying to think of. Yeah, yeah it's Andre's puberty blues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but there you go. Um, that's what they should have called it. <laughs> Andre's <laughs> puberty blues. <laughs> puberty, puberty blues and the ice planet goth. Yeah, um, but, then we, so, but then we wouldn't have the joy of listening to Waldo, con- um, listening to David constantly trying to say the word depth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. Um, I've got thin skin. I'm easily rabbled. Um, it's it's kind of weird. I'm I'm sort of I'm I'm torn about this book because as our listeners will know, I'm a, I'm a huge Andre Bergen fan. I, I I favourably reviewed uh, his previous novels, and even though I thought Haropa was the lesser of his works, um, I still uh, quite enjoyed it, um, as we reviewed in one of our previous previous episodes. So when he contacted me and and, uh, and said, you know, I, my follow-up is, is ready, would you like to read it? Um, I was over the moon um, really, and, and honoured. So here we are reviewing it. Now, but the, the trepidation I had in reviewing it was because, not because I didn't like it, because I did, but because it's... It's kind of hard to talk about um, without spoilers, and I don't want to give any spoilers because it's pretty important to not have the spoilers spoiled for you, like those plot points spoiled for you. Otherwise, it sort of gives quite a lot of it away. So if my review's a little rambly, I I do apologise. But, I mean, it is, as as Luke said, essentially a coming-of-age story. There's a couple of things in the plot you can talk about without it being spoiled spoiler infused um one of the and this is stuff that does get revealed um very early on the, the big the first big one is that as, as well as her um her clique her group of friends uh mina herself um actually does have a, an imaginary friend slash uh, psychological diffused character i can't actually explain that one properly i'm alternate sorry personality alternate personality sort of thank thing. you yeah. um called anamide mm-hmm. um who visits uh, mina at very um various points Throughout the novel, is sort of like her dark reflection, effectively. Um, she still appear when she's highly stressed. Highly, highly stressed in particularly volatile situations in which the person that Mina is directly dealing with um, is actually causing her some uh, mental or physical anguish. Yeah. And Anamid always appears with the with the intent of um, killing the person. Not that that's what strictly specifically happens, but that's um, it's uh, Mina's way of dealing with um, what's directly going on. But Anamid also has not necessarily an ulterior motive, but as a dark reflection of Mina's character, is not a positive reinforcement of me of Mina's psychological state. She's actually more reflective of Mina's fractured, heavily negative state of mind. So she actually can't quite often, while she does, you know, defend Mina to, to a certain extent. She actually does quite. She picks on Mina quite a lot. And the other one, the other big thing that um, you, you can probably talk about here without um, giving anything away is that Mina is in fact abused by a brother. Yeah, um, suffers a horrid amount of uh, physical abuse by um, a deeply flawed, um, psychologically scarred character himself, mm. and her older brother, yeah. her older brother Patrick, yeah. and um, it doesn't have actually the best of relationships with her father because her father, even even before the mar- even during the marriage to her mother, um, is a, an adulterer, and once the mother dies, that actually you know picks up quite substantially to the point where he's almost a non-presence in her life. I actually got, um, I don't know if this is really a spoiler, but I actually got the point that what seems to happen a bit with, with families like this is that once Mina uh, hit puberty, mm. he actually stopped touching her. Mm. And so I sort of got, he, he basically won't even hug her anymore. Yeah. And I think, and I think it's sort of that sort of, a, sort of alludes to the fact that he just sort of now feels uncomfortable because of her, you know, her girly parts. Mm. I didn't get the, get the point that he thought of her as a sexual it's just that he was uncomfortable thinking her yeah. of her as a sexual being. Yeah. He wasn't abused or anything. Yeah, like, the, you know, the, he didn't have any weird thoughts. He just yeah. he just didn't you know he just little, uncomfortable. The little girl that he could you know yeah. climb up that cheek that he could you know put on his put on his shoulders and you know run around the 
living room with wasn't yeah, actually you, there anymore. You she's, can't do yeah. that with a teenager. She was now yeah. up. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so an that, it, that that typical dad thing of you know how, now how do I relate to my you know yeah my um, daughter who's my, now looks like a woman. Yeah, yeah. I had pro- a lot of problems with my review of Hiropa wasn't you know exactly positive in and of itself, but I think the. The strength, the difference between this one is that Hiropa's got a very clear narrative through line, whereas this one I thought was very fractured and at some times didn't know what it wanted to be. I didn't know whether it was trying to be uh, a coming-of-age, like a dark coming-of-age story, or bordering into borderline horror territory. Mm. Um, And his point could be he's trying to do both, which is fine, I've got no problem with that, but you've actually got to make it, still make it clear that that's what's running through and he sort of jumps a little bit between, from one to the other. The other thing is that, in spite of some of the nasty stuff that does happen to Mina in the story, and it is nasty, and it you know deserves to be written about and talked about and discussed in a wider cultural context, I never felt that Mina herself was a particularly engaging character. There's that there's that sort of distance that I had to her. She doesn't actually didn't actually do anything for me in terms of an active character and but isn't that that, that isn't that intentional though that like should she, be, she's a, a distant person that could she's be an inte- but I'm but I'm being invited into her mindset and her psychology yeah um, and it never veered into anything that I found particularly interesting I disagree I found Mina quite mm. an engaging character but I think having been a teenage girl it might have helped because mm. I so I could I could identify with her mindset but would it because this is written by a guy if you were, if say as a, as a woman, if you were writing this character, yeah. would you have possibly given her a little bit more, a little bit more depth? Because no. that's the thing that I kind no. of teenage felt... girls don't have a lot of depth, and, <laughs> and I have to give I have to give Andre a lot of credit for getting the getting it right. It, 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 he did a very good job of getting a teenage girl right from a male perspective. Mm. Uh, that's awesome. Um, uh, this could easily have been written by a woman. Mm. When I first started reading it, and realised it was about a teenage girl. I am not ashamed to say I, I thought, yeah, how are you going to pull this off? I mean, you're you're a guy. I know it's weird. I'm, it was a very fleeting thought. I'm, it was a very fleeting thought. But then, obviously, I got into it. I thought he, I thought he did a great job, and I was just, I was so waiting to record this episode because I wanted to get crystals. You know, who, well, crystals are sort of. I think, it's a, I think he does a great. Job. It's a great skill for an author to have, and uh, yeah. as my favorite author, Christine Catherine Rush, um, uh, to use her example, she writes as Chris Nell Scott, she writes a series of mystery novels set in the 1960s and her main character is not only a man, but he's a black American man mm. and, and, and she, she's a, a, a much younger white American woman mm. so to get into that mindset, I mean I could, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a black American man, I could be completely wrong and she might have got that completely wrong but that sounds very true to me and I think Andre is on that same sort of level getting into the mindset of a girl Yeah I mean, they say that you, they say you should write about what you know. Mm. He's never been a teenage girl, and so that's what and, that, and that's and that's what impresses me about good writers in that they can write about things that they actually don't know. Mm. For me, um, I actually didn't feel that Mina was particularly interesting as a character. Yeah, um, and I see, I see um, you know, we've had various examples over the years in films, book, and television of this type of story, coming of age story, from various genres, from things like Clueless mm. to Veronica Mars. Um, which in both cases have actually quite fascinating, very interesting female characters who are very different. You know, Cher is actually several several shades removed from um, Veronica Mars herself. Mm. Um, but they, but but both are still interesting, engaging, and active. And I kind of felt that um, I can't believe that we've we've had the day where Luke Walker has favorably reviewed Clueless. I like Clueless. That's, that's, but that's, then that's I so grew, interesting to me. But then I grew up. Gives a tangent. I sort of grew. I was that age when yeah. I saw Clueless. Um, I hated it, but I agree with your share guy. Um, and it, it for me, it there was just a bit too much of playing the victim. I wanted her to do. It doesn't have to. And I'm not talking video game levels of you know tub thumping, beating the people up. Just some, seeing her do something apart from just feel victimized from everything. If that makes sense. Yeah, but that's true, very true to a teenage girl's character. Yeah. Um, I see what you're saying, but I just don't think that fits her character. Mm. Her character wouldn't do that. Yes. You would do that. No, I no, would no, do that, no, but no, she but, wouldn't do that. But even in, my exper- even in my experience, you know, the women that I grew up with, would, you know, they're, yes, a lot of what she was going through is also what they would have been going through, but they've also, you know, they also would have done stuff 
themselves. Yeah, but the women in your life are very strong women. I'm not just talking about, you know, the my immediate family or the people yeah. in this room. I'm talking right. about, um, you know, people I went to high school with and the people I went to uni with. So it, it, it like, felt a little bit imbalanced. But that's, you know, more a personal reflection. Okay. The other big problem I had was that there's a lot of detail in setting up her, you know, her sort of geek credentials. Yeah. And I, it, for me, it got a little bit unbelievable at times. Right. Particularly with the comic book elements. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Um, <laughs> I've got no problem. You know, there, were, there have always been women reading comics um, ever since, you know, the, the ever since comics first started. My problem is that the level of detail that she had for a 16-year-old and a 16-year-old girl in the 80s in which comics weren't necessarily the pop culture explosion that we've had today. Knowing and being a fan of Jack Kirby's 2001, which by even by 86 was extremely eclectic. Um, yeah, but that's because it's her, her father's. Oh, it's her uncle's, actually. Oh, her uncle's or whatever. Um, I was it, a fan of Jack Kirby's 2001 in 1986. Yes, but you're a Jack Kirby fan and you're a boy. But having said that, I mean, as somebody I've got to disagree. I've got to disagree. This is cliche meaning. I actually think... I actually think because she's a girl, she can't appreciate... No, I'm saying... No, I'm saying... It sounded quite forced. Yeah. But I've actually got to disagree with you on this one as well. As somebody who was actually reading comics and going to comic shops in 1986, like I was actually there, there were plenty of women... Yeah, that's comics. not. But that's there were not plenty of women buying comics, and, and 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 you would assume that those women would have comic book knowledge if they're going into shops like Minotaur mm. regularly to buy comics, mm. um, or was it Gorgons or whatever? Gorgon. Gorgon. Yeah, Gorgon, Gorgon in, in, the book. in the book. Yes, his his Minotaur comics in the book is Gorgon comics. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know some of. But, those... I mean, there, there were there were comic readers. They, they may not be as sort of prolific as it is now. Mm. But they were there. Like it's it's not I'm like not, it was just guys reading comics. But so. that's not what I'm saying. No, you're it just that, it doesn't quite fit doesn't, her character. In a, I think that's completely right. Have, no, just, no, to have the level of to have, have the level of knowledge. Why that not? She does it just doesn't? Didn't sound you have right. that level of knowledge when you were sixteen? No, I did. Richo definitely did. So yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Just I don't know. I didn't, a girl doesn't mean she doesn't. No, no, she no, can't no, know Jack Kirby. That's not the point that I'm making. I'm saying that. And it's also about the time period in which it's set in. It's in seven eighty six, right? Yeah. Um, so she talks about things like Robert E. Howard and um, Red Sonja, um, which I had no problem with because that it seemed believable to me. And she was actually choosing titles there that actually fit the more persona that she's got. But she's also talking about things like Miss Fury, which is Tarpe Mills's comic strip from the nineteen forties, um, which she read because of her uncle. Which she read because of her uncle, but. Just it, it seemed it seemed too much, like it was just being th- all these references and the level of knowledge with these references just being thrown at yeah, us in an attempt to inform her character, to inform the old soul character that she's got. No. Yes. I I, I, seriously, I had no problem with that. I, I, it actually yeah. got in the way of her story, and this is another big problem. This is also where I get the whole she's not a particularly active character for me because there was too much her talking about her. Um, things like the Tomb of Ligeia poster that she's got in her room, the um, the love of Vincent. There's too much of that, and it actually gets in the way of the story. But doesn't that then lead you to knowing what sort of person she is? You could do that without doing the, going to the lengths that Andre does. You could actually cut a lot of that back. My thing is, if this was say a ten thousand word novella, they'd probably actually, I'd probably think this is actually quite good. Yeah. Um, because this is actually padded out, the novel act and the story actually suffer to a great degree, I think. I'm not a big fan of um, teenage high school sort of stories. They don't, don't appeal to me, but I did quite like this. I found Mina to be an engaging character. Like Luke, I did find some of the comic stuff was a bit over the top, but it seemed like it was... Uh, we were just putting some comic information in there and trying to insert it. It wasn't necessarily mm. a part of the character. Um, yeah, that, that, yeah, it didn't feel um, organic. Just yeah, just that's right. It didn't feel like it flowed with the rest of it. But um, I, I liked the story. I thought that there was, there was a nice sort of mystery behind it, an uh, overarching mystery of what was going on. I liked Mina's character. I liked her, the, the side characters and her engaging with it. The only thing that I found difficult, well, confusing, is that 
I didn't, well, there's only about sort of halfway through and having spoken to David that I realised it might be set in some sort of alternate Melbourne mm. because re- being native from Melbourne and reading it, it's the some of the names and things were wrong. Mm. Like the, he kept calling the Yarra... Birrarung. Birrarung. like the park Birrarung and, you know... Um, uh, Paran was called something else, and Flahan. Flahan, yeah. And if it's set in an alternate Melbourne, then uh, my suggestion would be to make it clearer that it's set in an alternate because everything else was sort of the same. I mean, I'm I was almost around the same age in the mm. '80s, uh, and so I've got a very clear memory of what it was like. I mean, I don't think the Red Rattlers were running at that time. I think they went before 86. then, '86. I don't know. There were but, there are a few stragglers still left by the mid eighties. Yeah, but, but, but then, doesn't but, that, isn't that but, only because you're from Melbourne? But 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 yes, it, it feels like you need to have read his other works to appreciate the universe yeah. that it's set in. And I love that. It doesn't. Uh, uh, reading it as a standalone novel, it's it's a little confusing. Um, it's a it's a bit like watching that Jackie Chan movie that was set in Melbourne. Where he's meant to be running down one street, Cold but street. if you're from Melbourne, you can see it's spliced, and there's quite a number of different streets that he's running down at <laughs> once. Or in Ghost Rider, when um, Ghost Rider, who's meant to be set in Chicago, mm. drives over the top of that um, that uh, piece of architecture that links Flinders Street Station to South Yarra, oh, yeah, 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 to, yeah, to, to, to South Bank. Yeah, yeah. But ha- having said that, though, that is that that's just because we know Melbourne. Yeah, and it's the same with those songs. We know is, Melbourne, and so we know we know how ludicrous yeah. Jackie Chan is running down multiple streets. You know, yeah. there's a Jimmy Smith's movie where but, he goes from the Dandenongs to the city via um, the Esplanade because it's nice. Uh, yeah, it's, it's nice. But, it's nice scenery, but that's could, only because we know that stuff. No, but in, in this in this time, I take Crystal's point, which is for the world to actually come to life a little bit, you've got to have some knowledge of Melbourne. It's it's fairly accurate. So if you were going to set it as an alternate Melbourne, make it obvious from the start that it's an obvious it's an alternate Melbourne um, otherwise it's just slightly confusing and, and I don't see the point of it being an alternate Melbourne mm. uh, the, the story doesn't seem like it needs to be set in an alternate universe and it's only that it because it ties into the rest of his work that seems to be the only reason it's set in an alternate Melbourne to me otherwise it could quite easily be set in our Melbourne um, that would be the only criticism I have of it. The rest of it, I quite enjoyed the whole thing. Um, it sort of wavered a bit when she went into her, without trying to spoil it, when she went into her mind. There are parts of it I couldn't put it down. It was kind of, I really quite enjoyed it. I do agree with the, um, that there's a bit, the, the changes of the names is a bit disconcerting at, at times, but only, I, I, think, I think that's only because I'm from Melbourne and so know the reality of it. Yeah, but I think Crystal's point is one of just make it Melbourne. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's a specific reason why that's not the case, mm. and so yeah. I, we I, obviously we can't go into that. Mm. Um, it's, I mean, it, it would be a massive spoiler to do so. So, I guess, I mean, I kind of, I, I kind of wanted, I wanted to go into this review, uh, reviewing this book as a, a lover of Andre's work, uh, collected works, and also trying to see it from Crystal's point of view because I, I understand what she's saying mm. um, that if you if you read it as a standalone, if, if this was your very first Andre book. Mm. I think you would enjoy it. It would, it would be enjoyable as a standalone book. I, I think. I think. I think it's very. I think it's very well done. There, it's not perfect. It's not mm. perfect by any means. Mm. There's a couple. There's a couple of points. Even though I disagree with what you meant about the comic stuff, mm. um, I do actually. <laughs> strange. I actually do agree that there's actually maybe a little bit too much detail. Yeah, that, that's in what, terms of when the comic was released. And that's what and I'm really referring to. Her knowledge okay. is for the for the, and it's more to do with the time period that this book is set in. That it, it, a little bit too extensive, I think. And I, I think that sort of go, it goes even further when we mm. were introduced to the music side mm. of it. She's a big fan of music, mm. and there's, there's quite a lot of music mentioned, and, and it influences certain events and stuff like that. And that's all good. I'm not really into it music, music as much as Andre is, and um, but even that sort of stuff. Sort of, like when it was, you know, it's, it's, it mentions you know, who wrote the song, who recorded the song, when the song was released, that sort of stuff. I kind of get that gets a little bit too much. Um, and there is one particular music sort of scene, it's like there's, there's a music reference that does give you, well, in my mind, give you gives you hints to the to the overall story. Mm, I yeah. guess is the best way to phrase it. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I actually have no problem with that. So so in, as in the review, in the review, as someone who's read all the collected works and and then from that point on knew exactly what I was reading, mm. I was then in crystal territory. I couldn't put it down. But well, that, is that is that? But is that is that a flaw? Though? I think that is a flaw because it, it's not actually explored 
in the, in this one. So it it's, it requires extensive reading beyond this novel, whereas it's not. Yes. If you're, you're, whereas it's not you know sort of covered in this one. I think you can. I think you can read it standalone without the extensive reading and still enjoy it though. Yeah, you can. It just is a slot. No, I think this this will also come down though to um, how because this is a pre-release. Mm. It'll come down to how the book is advertised. If it's advertised as part of this series of books, mm. in the way that, say, um, Ian Banks's culture books are always advertised as a culture novel, mm. then I don't think this will be a problem because the uh, the assertion in those situations is that you you are read you have read the other books. Mm. You know, like if I were to sit down and read, I don't know, Return of the King, I'd have no idea what was going on because I hadn't read. Fellowship, and, Fellowship two and Two Towers. So if it's part of the series and it's advertised as such, then I don't see that that's really too much of a problem. Mm. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, as it's, um, I don't think it's easy. I don't think it's his best work. I don't think it's as good as uh, Mountain Goat. Mm. Um, but I, I, w- I would put it on, on par with Vicitude. Um, and I actually think it's better than Haropa. It's uh, a very enjoyable read. Um, as, a, as a fan, I got all the nods. So even some even other readers might not have gotten it a bit. I, I love all that sort of stuff. I love Easter egg type stuff. So I got all those and appreciated them. Um, but even just as a standalone story, um, I, I really really liked it. And uh, I can't wait can't wait to read the the next uh, next one. So I'll go with four point five Luke's. Luke, I got quite bored quite quickly reading this. Um, a couple of minor other things just would have liked a bit more development of Angelica and. Anime, just more into more in terms of the interpersonal relationships to Mina, they are a little bit too not developed fully enough. I don't think um, that's what I want to say. I don't think you, you could have done a lot more with though with the, with, the, with that set of relationships, still keeping to the core of what the book is about without destroying anything. Um, I give this one and a half looks. Crystal, I, I enjoyed this quite a lot. I think I enjoyed it more than Haropa. I can't remember what I rated Haropa, but uh, I'll, I'm going to give this one four and a half. And I have to say that at the end, I did want at least one more chapter just to round it out a bit. So, so you, I guess you could say you left me wanting a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, I just I just want to throw it out just to Andre. Um, I hope you liked it. I hope you enjoyed the review. And um, just thank you once again uh, for the support that you've shown us. Uh, but also just you know, thanks from me and now from Crystal from her, her rating. That, you know, thank you very much for writing your stories. So, and we look forward to uh, to, to your next one. And uh, thanks, Richard. No worries. Excellent work as always, Captain Jashaker. Okay, that was awesome. Thanks, everybody. Coming up next, our favourite romantic films. Oh, Valentine's Day. Yeah, I should have been looking at you when I said that. Oh. Oh. I, feel, I feel weird that this was my suggestion because it makes me seem quite girly, but really in picked it because of the date. I'm thinking, what can we do? What can we do? Oh, That's okay. This episode of Nerd Culture Podcast knocks on your door with roses and a box of chocolates. That's right. Because oh. we're, we're classy. Because we love our listeners. few days in which you see the semi-naked guy with the bow and arrow, then you can't, you shouldn't get scared. Yeah. <laughs> what? It's kind of creepy. It's a, it's a semi-naked infant. That's what I mean. What's that about? <laughs> Weird. I thought you were talking about the latest season of Arrow, where he's like always taking his shirt off. When you got a chest like that, you'd be taking style. your shirt off all the time. He's not the only one in the show that's like that. I mean, Diggle. You yeah. think he's a normal guy? Takes his shirt off? Ripped. It's <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Mah- McConaughey in that show. <laughs> <laughs> So the crew have picked uh, their favourite uh, romantic uh, sort of pop culture films, and we're going to start with Richo and The Princess Bride. This movie is about true love, or actually it's about true love, if you think about it. No, it's about love. <laughs> true love. love. The Princess Bride is a movie from the 1980s, <laughs> directed by the legendary Rob Reiner. Uh, it stars Carrie Ewell's uh, Robin Wright in her first major role. Yep. The awesomeness that is Andre the Giant for any 80s wrestling fans. Uh, Mandy Patinkin, uh, Christopher Guest, and an absolute array of hilarious guest stars. Can I just say that Mandy Patinkin is one of my all-time favourite actor names? It is a great name. I just like saying Mandy Patinkin. Mandy Patinkin. It is pretty awesome. No doubt about that. The script... I probably can't even say it. (laughs) Mandy (laughs) Patinkin. The script... (laughs) The script is written by uh, William Goldman, who long-time listeners will know is an absolute hero of uh, the Nerd Culture Podcast crew. Very, very briefly, it tells the story of Buttercup, 
a farm girl who is being forced to marry the evil Prince Humperdinck. But uh, then she's kidnapped by Fazzini and his criminals, but then rescued and kind of kidnapped by <laughs> the Dread Pirate Roberts. And are we spoiling this one? Because surely everybody has seen it. Who turns out to be Wesley, her long-lost love who had to leave at the start of the film. It's framed by a very moving sequence um, with Peter Falk reading the story to um, his sick grandson, played by Fred Savage. From the Wonder Years. Wonder Years age um, with Fred Savage. Yeah. Not, not only is this one of the most romantic, oh, okay, kind of sillily romantic movies of all time, but it's also one of the most awesome movies ever. Um, it is instantly quotable, and you've probably heard us quoting it many a time on the uh, on the show itself. It's just a, a, just a fun movie to watch. There's absolute just gold comedy moments, especially uh, Peter Cook as the clergyman is just always been a standout for me. Um, yeah, if you haven't seen this film, why are you listening to this podcast to begin with? Because all nerds should watch it. In fact, all people should watch it. And guys, you'll, you know, if, if you want to impress a woman, show her this film, because not only will you enjoy it, but she should enjoy it as well. So therefore, it works as an ideal sort of chick flick movie because you'll love it too, unlike most chick flick movies, which really are kind of boring and formulaic. We could do a whole episode on the prisons, uh, and in fact, we probably will at some point. We that's probably why should. Not, that's why I'm not going to do too much on this because I'm just saying romance. You know, this, this it's story's got it got, all. It's got everything. I'm it's a got. bit like Luke and the Lebowski on this one. Like, I, I enjoyed it, and I can see why people think it's funny, but I'm not as into it as everyone else is. Divorced. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of the romance right there everybody so much for the romance so much for, so much for Valentine's Day you can't divorce <laughs> on Valentine's Day Valentine's Day I'm wrong you're, in the world. you're entitled to your opinion you just, but you're just wrong and this is not <laughs> This is this uh, this not culture podcast has been brought to you by Slater and Gordon's family court family court divorce town. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody want a peanut? <laughs> it's going, actually one of my favorites. It's weird. It's, it wouldn't be anybody's favorite scene. But, I mean, this is this film. That film is so full of just awesome moments, especially yeah. the sword fight. Yeah. Um, it does feature the second greatest sword fight ever. Well, the second greatest. Yeah. The greatest sword fight of yeah. all Don't time. Say Robin Hood for Christ's sake. Absolutely. The oh, Robin, Robin Hood. Hood. Awful. What about the what? lightsaber no. fight in the, in the And that's no. awesome as well. No, the, it's no the sword sword no, number one sword fight of all time is the court jester. What? Where he keeps no. You mean no. the court jester where they're actually just mimicking the no. sword fight from Robin Hood? And, and, do, it, and do it better. Duffy Duck. Hoiks. And away. <laughs> um, anyway, but, but one of my well, favorite, well, I'll tell you what, at some point we'll do an episode where one of the topics will be what is the greatest sword fight ever? And we'll <laughs> argue that point right now. Right now, however, this is romantic. And it's true love. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, one, one of my favorites actually is, is like the Peter the Peter Falk Fred yeah. Savage stuff. Like he said, as he first uh, he's going to start reading the book, and he's like, "Is this a kissing book?" Yeah. And he's, no, 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 it's, no. You'll enjoy it, I swear. And the very next scene, is the yeah. <laughs> kissing hilarious. So next up, we have Luke and Chasing Amy. Uh, Chasing Amy was released in 1997. It's um, the third feature film from Kevin Smith back when um, he actually had a lot of the fanboys' respect and love and admiration and we all went and saw his films. Because he made some good films. Yes. Um, Chasing Amy tells the story of two uh, comic book creators on the rise, Holden McNeil, played by Ben Affleck, and Banky Edwards, played by Jason Lee, who have struck it big with their comic book hit, Black Man and Chronic, which is effectively two stoners dressing up to be superheroes. Uh, and through a mutual mutual acquaintance, Holden ends up meeting Alyssa, played by Joey Lauren Adams, who he eventually ends up bonding over, bonding with and forming an attachment to, but then discovers that she is a lesbian. Pause for dramatic effect. This, however, does not deter... Whilst he's immediately shocked, this, however, does not deter Holden in his quest to befriend and then um, eventually court Alyssa which after a long, um, a long argument, which he actually does finally confess, her feel- confess his feelings, she actually responds, and they start to have, um, they start to, they, they have a relationship. Um, the problem is, is that Banky, Holden's best, Holden's um, uh, creative partner and best friend, has certain issues, and he does his, he does his best to get um, Holden to stop seeing Alyssa. That's sort of um, the plot in a nutshell, and to say any more is actually to spoil what is actually quite an interesting... Um, and very poignant ending um, in which they, in which the um, the relationship goes through a few one major 
hurdle that Holden tries to overcome. Uh, the, like I said, the comic book, the sort of the pop culture references comes from um, you know the comic book side of things, in which we get a fabulous opening montage in which Banky, who is the Inca, tries to defend the Inca's status in comic books as being more than just a mere tracer. As funnily enough, Ben Affleck's little brother actually tells him, and you know sort of charts their careers as they rise through the ranks of the comic book field. But really, what makes this uh, are the um, is a relationship between Holden and Alyssa. Um, and the way in which Kevin Smith actually tactfully tries to bring them together without just pandering to um, a male's wet dream. It never comes across as being. It never comes across as being a male power fantasy. It actually is a the, the when they do actually start to begin their relationship. It actually feels quite organic. Go and it, it never goes into any um, obvious uncomfortable or. Um, oh, it definitely gets uncomfortable. No, is it uncomfortable in terms of? In terms of um, pandering, pandering to oh, uh, gotcha. to a fanboy um, to a fanboy mentality, actually does try to keep it. He's trying to cure her as um, <laughs> that's a little rubbish. Yeah, he does. He yeah. does try to keep it as um, as organic and um, interesting as he possibly can, and that's really where it works. Yeah. The key flaw is Kevin Smith's inability to direct. He is not um, a great visual stylist. Yeah. He just got a sort of a, he just puts his camera puts in his one camera spot, there, yeah. camera one spot, and is good enough with the actors to um, get the thing to move. His great strength at least at this at this point um is his ability to script mm. um the dialogues the, the dialogue sings the characters are really um are really relatable um and are, and are quite interesting in the in the way that they try to relate and even kevin jane silent jane silent bob his um the two his two obligatory characters who do make their appearance um aren't the offensive stereotypes that they actually do become later on you know they're they're offensive in Clarks and um, Mall Rats, but they don't overtake the action the way that they do in Dogma or Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Yeah, I th- I've always loved this film. I think it's it, it's quite a charming film at, on one level. It's got an unusual premise to hook you in. Holden is very relatable and exceedingly flawed in his in, in all of the decisions that he makes. Mm. Plus, also the the tunnel sideness that he experiences in not being able to see just really what is going on with his with his friends and his lover. And it needs to be po- needs to be pointed out, out to him at certain points that this is actually what's going on. Um, makes it quite refreshing. He's not a know-all in terms of when it comes to love. There are probably better examples of ro- uh, romantic comedies out there. Things like Groundhog Day come to mind. But yeah, for the, in terms of the pop culture infused romantic story, this for me is it. This is really his best film by a far margin, and I wish we could get more of that from him now than you know than the Clarks two and. God, I hate Clarks too. And Jay and Tyler, Jay and Tyler, Bob. Tyler Bob Strike Back. It, it probably yeah. lacks the the raw energy that he displays in Clarks, in the first Clarks film, which is actually quite um, quite interesting to watch. But then that comes back down to character. But what this has is this has got a nice set of relationships. Yeah, um, there's more that, depth to the characters yeah, that drive the story. Mm. Um, it's totally believable mm. from start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. and uh, even though I don't agree with his actions, uh, Holden's actions. I can understand based on his character. And think about it, the actions that he do take actually make, because he does make the wrong choices almost about the entire story, yeah. except for when he actually does, he and Alyssa actually do start to um, start to go out. Yeah. That's probably the one thing in, thing in the entire film that he's actually gotten right. Yeah. Um, whereas the choices he makes after that are spectacularly wrong. And the film is all the better for it, I think, because yeah. it's not a clean cut um, wrapping it up in... Two seconds. Let's all feel good. It's you know it's actually quite poignant in its approach to relationships and the tricky nature, um, in which they work. Yeah, we actually did a film flam on Chasing Amy, and did uh, you? Yeah, it's actually, uh, Bo's a huge Kevin Smith fan, mm. and um, this is his favorite film as well. So right. It was good. It was it was it was fun. It is it is an excellent film, mm. and I actually I agree. I think it is his best film. Mm. Um, I have a lot of fun with Borat, right, so I won't deny. <laughs> but, I have a lot of fun uh, with Borat. Right. I have a lot of fun. With- <laughs> Fun with more rights too, but uh, it, because it, because of the audience that it's pitched that it's pitched at, you know, a teenage yeah. audience, it sort of lacks the um, the it does lack the maturity that this does display. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and you know, as Richard said, the the, the in depth characterization and yeah. things like that. That's a big problem with a lot of teenage films, like the, the films that are aimed at teenagers. The, the director tend to forget that teenagers have brains. Mm. Totally. Need to be talked down. Well, most totally. you got to remember, most teenage films are actually written by people who are probably in their late thirties. The money's probably come from people in their late forties to mid fifties. Um, it's been directed by people in their late twenties, most likely from their late twenties, and generally male. 
Yeah. You know, um, mo- now a lot of now we've got a lot of um, uh, female directors actually making those sorts of films too. But for the most part, the demographic, in spite of it, its youth-oriented target, the um, people behind it aren't actually so close to that age that they can um, really get into it. Yeah. If that makes sense. I agree with everything you said, but without those, we wouldn't have had Phoebe Cates on a diving board, and that would have been a bad, bad thing. So, <laughs> does, does, <laughs> does that go with your Jennifer Connelly on a rocking horse? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> in between, family-friendly family and your wife is in the room. Okay, awesome, thanks. Thanks, Luke. Moving on to Crystal and When Harry Met Sally. Funnily enough, because I'm the one that picked this topic, I'm not actually a big romantic comedy fan. I find most of them pretty same-same. But there are some standout ones, like When Harry Met Sally. Um, this is my favourite one. Not necessarily because of the movie itself, which is, is pretty good. I really enjoyed the whole movie, but because of the because of what's associated with it. Uh, David and I actually saw this together, along with all the other kids in our class, because it was a school trip movie. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, our, te- our art teacher took us to it. Oh. And uh, the storyline is um, Harry and Sally, they meet college, I think, is it? College? Oh. Mm-hmm. college. Yeah. Um, and then the sort of their lives diverge and then they meet again and, and, and in the end they end up getting together. That's not a spoiler. I mean, it's pretty obvious from the, even the cover. <laughs> David and I's story is kind of sort of similar. And then we met at school, our lives diverge, met again later, and end up together. <laughs> this, this film's full of a lot of great scenes. Everyone remembers the one Meg Ryan making a point. <laughs> uh, it's 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 just a really feel good movie with good characters and it draws you in. It's good. I just want to point out that that's our second Rob Reiner film. Yeah. Yes. That oh, that's the, the, that's the other thing I wanted to point life. out. In, in preparation for this, I was reading the back of the, the DVD because I actually haven't seen the film in quite some time. And I love they were, the blurbs on the back of DVDs. They always put in brackets next to the person's name, what they're known for. Yeah. But I'd kind of forgotten that. And I read this and it's got um, from film director Rob Reiner, the American president. And I went, really? Oh. <laughs> 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 it's kind of like William President Ryder. It's kind of like William Hurt, the doctor. <laughs> Gold. <laughs> yeah, so that's my film. Uh, very short, but uh, there you go. Well, when when Harry Met Sally really actually really set the standard for romantic comedies, like mm. from this point onwards, pretty much every romantic comedy that was made for the next what fifteen years Mm-mm. was. Just a poor man's version of when It's the Harry Lord of the Sally. Rings of romantic comedy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely it is. The film's hilarious. Mm. And uh, we'll talk about that more in a second. So this film, I give it a yes. <laughs> <laughs> I give it the thumbs up. I hardly endorse this product and or service. Thanks, Thanks for that. <laughs> okay, so uh, moving on to myself and my choice. Now, actually, before I re- actually reveal my choice, I... Had a bit of a hard time coming up with my favourite romantic film because actually that's not true because I was actually going to do Harry, When Harry Met Sally, which is actually not only my favourite romantic comedy but also one of my favourite films of all time. But Crystal said she wanted to do that because I love her and it was the, the love episode. Uh, oh, she she I let her do that. I got him first. Uh, but then then I thought then I thought oh well that's that's easy but second choice would quite clearly be The Princess Bride. Oops. But then, <laughs> but then uh, it turned out that uh, Richard wanted to do The Princess Bride and I thought hey that's fine I'll let him steal it from me that's cool. Let me guess um, your, third, guess, your the, third choice was chasing him. <laughs> <laughs> no that that was a left field choice I was really I really respected that choice. Um, so I had to come up with another choice, and that was quite hard. Now, I have plenty of favourite romantic scenes, um, like uh, Wally, for, exa- for example, um, Aladdin, you know, um, Electric Dreams even, uh, <laughs> Juno, and uh, I'll even throw in the big Lebowski. You know, it's just, it's just my special lady. I mean, there's, there's Lebowski? <laughs> that's your name, dude. <laughs> that's it. Um, so, so there's lots of, lots of favourite actual romantic scenes. I mean, but that entire film, it was kind of hard. But uh, then it dawned on me that uh, the obvious choice for me was His Girl Friday. Awesome. Good. Now, whether you would, ask, would uh, class His Girl Friday as a romantic comedy, yes. I'm not too sure. It's more yes. of a screwball comedy. So but screwball, but the, the screwball comedies always have the romantic, the, the romantic element to them. They're, yeah. they're kind of the precursors to the romantic comedies we have today. Now, yeah. His Girl Friday means a lot to me because um, not only is it brilliant, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's... It, I mean, and talking about Cary Grant, it has yep. Cary Grant in it. Um, it's, it's, I mean, that's it's funny, it's smart, it's engaging, and uh, it's, it's, just, it's a great watch. I highly recommend it to anybody. 
And what makes it even more brilliant is that it was actually a it was actually a double feature with uh, the awful truth, which is another genius film. And I think it was it was certainly my first time at the Astor. Yeah. Which, as long-time listeners will know, is my favourite cinema in Melbourne. That's right. So, so it was the Astor, which is you know, yeah, per- perfect location for seeing films like that. NCP's so. favourite cinema. That's right. Um, yeah. So uh, so he's got Friday is uh, directed by Howard Hawks and um, stars, of course, the man Cary Grant uh, and uh, Rosalind Russell. Um, and, and a few other people, of course, uh, including the, the brilliant Ralph Bellamy. It is, for me, sort of the ultimate... It's the ultimate screwball comedy, for one. I mean, it all makes win straight up on that. But also just the way they interact in terms of the romance. It's not... There's no, it's not, as Fred Savage would have said, it's not a kissing book. It's, it's not, it's not uh, lovey-dovey type mm-hmm. stuff. It's two very intelligent, independent people going at it. You know what I mean? And uh, it's... It's Cary Grant sort of, you know, on, on, on fire. Mm. So, um, yeah, so that's why I picked that one, because I couldn't have with Harry Sally. So, uh, check it out. Awesome. Um, I just wanted to say on... His, it, I mean, it's interesting that His Girl Friday is actually a romantic comedy because the play that it's based on, which they then later made as Newspage, Newsfront, mm. with Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau, um, the, Ros- uh, the Rosalind Russell character is, in fact, in the stage play, is, in fact, a male character. That's right. Um, and so it's all about the the one-upmanship that that the journalist character has with the editor. Yeah. Whereas here they, whereas here because they cast Rosalind, you know, they purposely cast, uh, changed the sex to be. Um, uh, yeah, Howard Hawks. Hawks changed. The yeah. Sex. yeah. So, so so that he could have say a Lauren Bacall Bogart esque. Um, well, it's funny. Actually, fifteen people were offered the role before they got to Rosalind, mm. and they all said no. And then mm. they got to Rosalind, and she found out about it while she was driving on the freeway and listening to the radio. Mm. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I've got the part. <laughs> <I> nice. <know>. Um, <laughs> and it, it's interesting because this is still the classic out of the out of all vari- variations of this story. This is still mm. the one that sings, and it sings because of the romance. Mm. And it's not an ob- it's not an obvious one. It's actually the romance. It actually comes from the friction between Rosalind Russell and Cary Grant with that lovely um, machine gun dialogue. For a- bang, 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 and the per- perfect combination with the awful truth. Mm. It, it may not be romantic, but from a technical perspective as well, this film was actually incredibly innovative from its um, sound design perspective mm. because traditional sound techniques could not pick up. The dialogue. the dialogue because it was coming so quickly and the wow. back and forth is hitting That's them cool. so quickly they actually um, Howard Hawks and his sound people actually had to set up um, a system of microphones around each set it's like bullet time microphones yeah in order to be able to actually capture all of the dialogue properly That's because awesome. it just was not working yeah and so this, this film is actually from a technical perspective is held in such high regard um, because of that, because of the new techniques that they needed to bring in, because they just couldn't cope otherwise. Well, there you go. But that's not really the romantic part. Of it. <laughs> no, the film still, is awesome, though. It's still cool, isn't it? And it does it does very much set the standard, I think, for um, for the screwball comedies as well. That yeah. that we the witty dialogue, the constant banter, and as you say, the friction between the love interests really was the standard. It for was the screwball. Lord of the Rings of screwball comedies. <laughs> that's going to be our new um, sort of catchway: the Lord of the Rings of, isn't it? NCP is the Lord of the Rings of of nerd culture podcasts. <laughs> So that's uh, NCP's uh, favourite romantic films, but how about yours? Now, we'd love to hear from from our listeners. If you've got uh, a favourite that we've missed, uh, blasphemy that we didn't include it, then uh, by all means, chuck it in. I mean, I was almost going to mention Romancing the Stone. So, if you know, hey, we'd be, love to hear from you. And to be fair, we only really talked about four films as opposed to the, <laughs> what, 60-odd years of um, cinema history? <laughs> Just please don't I'm send sorry. in You've Got Mail. Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> That's right, the romance between one man and his sister. <laughs> the, romantic, the romantic triangle between Leo. There's nothing romantic about it. No. <laughs> Why do you think they're a girl fan? There is a, there is a, there is a romance no, between... Hot. There is a romance between Han and Leia. Just the slightly dodgy part of, you know, having her brother involved as well. I thought the only romance in that film was C-3PO and R2-D2. <laughs> the clearly, killer robots from Battlestar Galactica versus the gay robot from Star Wars. Oh my! Six days, seven nights. Don't watch Groundhog. Don't watch Groundhog Day uh, before you go to bed and get insomnia because you keep waking up going, "It's Groundhog." <laughs> it's cold out there today. It's cold out there every day. What is this Miami Beach? Not hardly. 
Okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> quote before it becomes a quote fest, because it'd be some more. Uh, so let's finish up uh, with our coming soon. Coming soon in Australian cinema is February 20th. We get Nebraska, which I'm interested. Mm, yeah. uh, it's uh, supposedly a, a pretty impressive performance from, from uh, Bruce Dern. Bruce Dern. Yeah, so check that one out. Um, All is Lost, which I know nothing about. Not oh, no, no, I do. No, my bad. All is Lost is Robert Redford in a boat. Ah, oh, yes, yes. And I know he uh, hits something, his boat starts to sink. Yeah, well, he's getting Isn't a lot that of... Titanic? No. He hits something no. and the boat starts to sink. No, well, it's pretty much... Yes. It's pretty much... The, it's, only, it's just him. Um, yeah, it's and just him. it's all about his isolation, I guess, as he stays on this boat. He was, his, was another, his was another performance that people were going, oh, hang on, why hasn't he been nominated for... Um, you know, the Golden Globes and the Academy Awards. Whereas yeah. Bruce Dern has been nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah, just probably. And uh, an Australian film, Wolf Creek 2. Dear God. Um, I'm, look, you know... I liked Wolf Creek. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's a film that really needs a sequel. Yeah, I'm with that. I'll go with that. My, but, also my fear, it's, but at least it's an Australian film that is, I'm not guaranteed, but will do well. Yeah. And that's yeah. important. My only concern is that if, in, in making sequels, they're going to... Yeah, you know, it's going to be watered down, and it's going to become you know, like any, any horror slasher franchise. When they start making sequels, they start getting ridiculous, and are we willing to what trust that, that it's not? Yeah. What um, other, but, and hopefully, but yeah. What other Australian film would you prefer to see a sequel to? Picnic at Hannock Rock. Strictly Gone. Where the aliens appear. Muriel's Wedding Two. <laughs> <laughs> the divorce. <laughs> Muriel's Wedding. The divorce. That's brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a queen of the desert too. The que- every queen needs a king. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right, so uh, good luck to Wolf, to the people of Wolf Creek too. Yeah, hopefully it does well. And yeah. anything that uh, you know boosts the Australian film industry can't be a bad thing, I suppose. Exactly right. So that's it for episode seventy nine. Thank you very much for joining us. We do it for you. We love you, our listeners, each and every one of you. In fact, I'll personally love you if you want. Uh, my name is David that's gone from being romantic to creepy very very quickly <laughs> and Richard can you feel the love tonight Luke no Crystal yes <laughs> nice bye bye <laughs>